What's up everyone, Amir here, and I'd love to welcome you all to another episode of Bigger Than Our Dreams. Each week, myself and Yanni tackle discussions around body image, sexuality, and how we interpret signals from society that can invalidate our dreams. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to amirstayfly.com or yanniblue.com to listen to music, purchase merch, and learn more about us. If you'd like to send us any questions or be a guest on future episodes, you can shoot us an email at biggerthanourdreams at gmail.com. That's bigger with two eyes. Thank you so much for listening. All right. Awesome. Okay, so I'll go ahead and get us started with the intro. Um, Mike, I wrote a nice little bio on you. I hope you're proud of it. Oh, wow. You're so special. (laughs) So it's a little introduction. I, okay, so uh, all right. <clears throat> all right. Today's guest is a music industry professional with over 29 years of experience. He's also a mental health activist, advocate, sex educator, and host of the Detoxicity Podcast, which centers around communication, empathy, and rewriting the code for what's considered masculine. Um, he was also featured in Billboard Pride's Power Players of 2020 and is from Brooklyn, New York. Give it up for Mike yep. Joseph. What's going yes. on? Yes. <laughs> Brooklyn in the house. Yes, damn right. Yes, yes, all day, baby. Brooklyn in the house. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. How are y'all doing? Great. Inspired. Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. 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 Pretty good. It's been, it's been a hectic morning, but we, we're, we're alive. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, real quick, I actually want to get into uh, why you and I initially connected. I don't know if you remember, but... um. It actually has its roots in, in how I ended up meeting Amir and starting this podcast. So that's kind of why when we began, I decided to reach out to you. Um, you're Hello. like, wait, what? What? What, do I, what did I miss? I so <laughs> I'm old. My um, no, it's all good. Um, so, you know, I'm a professional songwriter about six years now. And um, you and I connected in 2020 when I started releasing music as an artist. And um, I started because I was initially really frustrated with the songwriting industry and just kind of being the only queer man navigating a lot of spaces where the archetype was always the same, straight black producer, beautiful young female, usually white, white adjacent uh, artists, and just me in the middle trying to navigate all of the toxic masculinity, all of all of the BS. So when I started releasing music, I figured like, oh, I can come out as a queer artist and I can really connect with people now, I won't be alone. And that didn't happen. I got, <laughs> I got out on the scene as a queer artist and, um, same thing was happening. I was reaching out to places and trying to connect, and it was all cis, white, pop, a house, electronic artists. So I made it a mission to really try to find queer people in the music industry that looked like me, that felt like they came from the same place as me. And that's how I came across the Billboard Pride list that you were on. You were one of the only men of color on there. And uh, just shot my shot. I sent you a message on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, I just want to connect. I didn't want anything. I didn't even, I was like, I don't, this guy's going to be like, what does this kid want? Like, I didn't want anything. I just was like, can somebody somewhere just be like me? Right. <laughs> right. And um, so it's been a, it's been a joy um, connecting with you on and off and then finding out right. that you did the podcast. So um, full circle, because in that same journey, I stumbled into Amir, who was an incredible producer, photographer, uh, queer artist. And just I've been on that trajectory of just trying to connect us um, because, as you can attest, as an industry professional, it's so few of us and at least us that, that want to connect and help each other. That's true. I mean, there's not really a lot of us floating around. So those of us that do exist really need to 
connect with one another and network. Um, and, you know, I've been in the business a long time and having other queer men of color in the industry, period, is something that is openly queer, I should say. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, men of color in the industry is definitely something that is still kind of a novelty. Um, but it's good to see young people coming up and embracing the totality of, of their queerness because it means many different things to many different people. And just being openly themselves and being able to navigate the industry in ways that are not necessarily stereotypical of where you would expect queer men of color to be in. Um, yeah. Like we deserve to be in every space. We belong in every space. Absolutely. So to see people, you know, navigating, you know, in hip hop, in alternative music, you know, kind of all over the place to see something like Steve Lacey, like all that stuff is just, you know, like a, 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 it, it makes my heart feel good to because when I was, you know, in the late 90s, when I was 21 years old, 22 years old, I didn't think that uh, things like this would be possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too, a lot of times people are moving along people who remind them of themselves. You know, I've seen so many executives who, you know, will progress the, the young rapper songwriter because he's from the same hood as them or, you know, the white female executives who are going to really believe in the young singer songwriter girl. And it's like, well, who's going to believe in me if they're not really connecting with me? So that was big for me, just trying to find those people and create community because we don't we don't have that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I know yes. I started off really heavy, but I I wanted to get that off because I was I was really thinking about it coming in, and I was like, I there was a reason I connected with you, and and just kind of felt right. full circle. Right. I and love that. Know, a lot of that also, like paying it forward, is super important. You know, I think. Look, you know, I'm a middle aged person, and uh, being an example, um, you know, or at least just. For my face to be in that Billboard magazine, like, like what happened with you, another a young person of color, a young man of color saw someone of color in this space and reached out for community. Uh -huh. And, you know, I think it's important that we exist and, and we put ourselves out there so that, you know, we can reach, you know, the generation after us can see us as examples. Yes. Definitely. And that's so much of what me and me and Amir have been trying to do with this podcast and with yes. our recent releases. So it feels good to have you on and, and to have that 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 through line for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to get into a little bit of an icebreaker right now. So we usually yeah. ask, yes, we usually ask our guests to describe their day based on their favorite song or artist. You said this too, um, <laughs> Michael Jackson and Prince. So tell us, what does a Michael Jackson day feel like for you? And then what does a Prince Day feel like for you? Because we want to know. <laughs> and there's a difference. A lot of people compare Michael and Prince. Like I grew up in, you know, when I was a kid, everybody was like, Michael or Prince. And I was like, why can't it be both? Exactly. Um, with Michael, for me, Michael is joy. Like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, if I, you listen to a song like Don't Stop Till You Get Enough or Rock With You, like there's just so much happiness and joy and so much of his music was about bringing people together. Um, so there, there is just this feeling of, of togetherness, of wanting to be a part of the world um, that uh, exists when I hear Michael. With Prince, it's really about 
it's about daring. It's about being daring. It's about being different. It's about being sexual. It's about being yourself. Like Prince was such an individual, you know, here is this little man with, you know, perm in his hair, wearing these tight ass clothes, wearing like female clothes, uh, talking very explicitly about sex, um, you know, sort of mixing genres, you know, doing rock stuff and doing R&B stuff and funk stuff. And it, it just like, Prince to me is everything, like all colors, all types of music, all genres. Prince, like the vibe that I always get from Prince is fearlessness. Like he wasn't afraid to do whatever it is he wanted, make the kind of music he wanted. If he wanted to wear a yellow ass suit on MTV with the butt hanging out, he could do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to be 100% confident in that. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So Michael Day is, 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 it's fun. It's, it's uh, inviting and a Prince Day is sexy and daring. Yeah, the Michael Day, you want to dance, you want to sing, you want to feel good. Well, yeah. Prince, you know, Prince is like, Prince is like one of those you don't give a fuck days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100, 100% because I am a Prince stan. I've had the pleasure of seeing him live four times. Oh, wow. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, and each time was like purely spiritual for me like i've probably listened to like every single prince album twice so like i'm like in it so it's like for me prince is like artistry you know what i mean it's like it's like being in your bag and just like like you said being daring and being different and just like just saying just fuck everything else i'm gonna just be wherever the fuck i want to be right now so that's what a prince they would be like for me it's like Dark shades. I'm wearing some weird shit. I don't give a fuck. I'm outside. I'm feeling myself. I'm in my own zone, being my most authentic self and not caring what the hell anyone else would think. But in like a Michael Day, for me, like, I agree. His songs ring like joy and like celebration. You know, like a lot of my memories of Michael Jackson is hearing him at like the family cookout at the gathering mm -hmm. with, you know, with loved ones and like, hearing his songs, singing his songs at, you know, graduation. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, different feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. I feel like I'm having a Michael day, honestly, but I feel like as a man child, every day is a Michael day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a Prince era. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I got my, I have my symbol with me today. So, you know, maybe today's a Prince day. Yeah. Right, but then you got but then you got the M for Michael. That's true too. You like repping both. And I have I actually have tattoos of both of them, so I carry Michael and Prince with me every day. Yes. That's dope. You know, you're our second guest to have like icons tatted. Our last guest was a rapper named DDM. He has Grace Jones on one side of his arm and then Diana Ross on the That's other on side. The other, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Damn, now I need to get a tat now. Right. I'm gonna yeah. tap myself on myself. Music is so much <laughs> life, man. I have to have it like on me it's because it's part of me even though i'm not like a, a musician or a singer or anything like that like music has been such a an important part of my entire life that you know if something's going to be permanently on my body it's going to be music related yes. same same can you re really quickly tell us a little bit about just your journey through the music industry if you're comfortable saying what you do or just like your yeah. trajectory yeah, I mean, I started out uh, working in a record store way back in the day. Like when I was in school, I didn't 
you know, I grew up in the hood. I didn't really realize that there were music industry jobs. Um, I knew that I wanted to work in music, but I thought that that meant either being a singer or being on the radio or mm -hmm. working in and the thing that was most feasible to me at the time was working in the record store. So in 1993, I uh, graduated from high school. A few months later, started working in the record store, worked my way up through there. And, um, you know, just kind of like pushed my way through the ranks uh, and uh, ended up managing a record store uh, in the Bronx. And, um, you know, after that situation ended, uh, I ended up working in distribution and uh, kind of worked my way through there. I've worked in PR. Uh, I've done email marketing, I've done like merch sales, I've done all sorts of stuff. And now I uh, am a client manager for a, uh, for a distribution company. And I've been at the same company now almost 18 years. Um, so I've seen everything change from CDs to downloads to streaming. Um, you know, and just, you know, I really feel really grateful to have consistently worked for 29 years in the music industry, you know, under under a variety of disciplines and just, you know, being able to kind of stick through all of the changes because the music industry is so dynamic and it changes so fast. Like it's really easy to get like chewed up and spit out. Um, so just the fact that I'm still here, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I have a lot of gratitude for that. That's beautiful. Yes. Amen. I love that. That actually takes us to our, our first question on, on uh, sort of our deeper side of the pod. So, Bigger Than Our Dreams is based on the idea of dreaming big. Obviously, we're two plus-size artists, two uh, queer men of color. And for us, a lot of the things that invalidated our dreams coming up were our size, our sexuality. For you navigating your career, um, were there things for you early on that, you know, people deemed, you know, made you made, invalidated your dreams in any way? Like, if you were treated like you were too Black or too gay or too whatever. Like, what, what were some of your adversities coming up? I think, I think there's been an interesting sort of sequence of events where depending on the job at different times, I've been seen as too black, not black enough, too queer, not queer enough. Um, you know, I don't like the term straight acting is stupid to me because you don't act straight. You don't act gay. You, you are what you are. Um, you know, I am not, uh, I don't read queer, uh, in most cases. Um, but I am like, I'm not in a closet. I'm openly queer. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just sort of the way I, the way I am confuses people sometimes because people like to put people in a box um, and I don't really fit in anybody's box. So I think that by virtue of not fitting in anybody's box, it's been, you know, it has been challenging for me to uh, get into some circles um, or stay in some circles because you know, like, I know hip-hop. I also know alternative rock. You know, I grew up listening to all sorts of different kinds of music. I know dance music. I know, like, I know country. Like, I know all sorts of different stuff. And people are quick to look at you and assume that they know everything about you just by what they view you as, you know, externally. Mm -hmm. And I don't, like, I don't want to be put in a box. So I think that uh, for me, a lot of the struggle has been and continues to be just like, you know, people going like, what the hell do we do with this dude? Mm. Same. Mm. <laughs> mm. I, feel, I relate to that heavily. I feel a lot of the same. And I know, I know Amir is the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. 
A thousand percent. And um and just not not to jump ahead, but just in listening to to um your podcast, like I was very excited to speak to you today because um I've been doing doing a bit of my own campaign in the past five years, been working on this project called the Everyman Project, and we've been doing a lot of work speaking out about, you know, toxic masculinity and a lot of these very um shitty and dated ideals that have been put onto us and the pressures been, that's been put onto us as men to, you know, these these behaviors that have been conditioned into us from day one. And then being a creative and trying to figure out where the hell do you exist in this space? You know what I mean? Like, and, and then still trying to figure out how to show up and be your most authentic self because everyone is projecting their image onto you of what you should be as a man in music. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of shit to to dissect, you know, and for me, a lot of my own exploration and really getting into my own, I had to do a lot of reparenting. I had to really reparent myself, you know, um, especially growing up in Brooklyn, you know, um, growing up in Brooklyn with a father who was a basketball coach. So that's a whole nother. That's the, that's yeah. <laughs> it's layered. So, yeah. you know. It took a while for me to be comfortable and to not for one comfortable in being me, but finding out who the fuck I was because for the longest time I've, I've just been a shell of what other people projected onto me. And I wasn't really functioning and being my own, my best authentic self because I didn't know who the fuck I was. And, you know, I think in the process of reparenting and like really challenging, like why, why do I think this way? Why have I been programmed to process these emotions and emotions in such an un, a unhealthy way? You know what I mean? Because like, as complex as the human experience is, you know, we go through trauma from the moment we're born. You know what I mean? And you know, I mean, like, like when you think about it, like from being comfortable and cozy in a womb for nine months and then being ripped out into the cold, harsh world, like that's being born is traumatic in itself. And mm-hmm. it's, you know what I mean? And then to have those pressures put onto us as men, but then specifically men of color, that's a whole nother layer of shit that gets put mm-hmm. on us to be taught that we can't process our emotions in a healthy way yeah. and that we have to function in this dysfunction from day yeah. one, you know? So it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot, you know? <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. And, and the, the music industry thrives on a lot of those notions too. That's the sad yeah. part especially urban music. Um, you know, I'm yeah. an R&B vocalist at heart, so I kind of got thrusted into that world. But like like you, Mike, I listen to everything, and, and Amir as well. Listen to everything. I write everything. I feel like I'm probably more of a pop top liner if I had to, you know, but I got put in those boxes of just like, well, you're, you're Black, you sound Black, and you look like a boy. So go and, and just kind of mm-hmm. being thrusted into these rooms where I'm watching like women be disrespected. And I'm like trying to be liaison, but it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you know, like just kind of getting all that pushback from like, trying to be too close to the women because I'm seeing how they're being treated, but then trying to help the guys soften up. Like, bro, you can't, you can't act like this. Like you can't be so tough, so aggressive, so cutthroat. It was exhausting, you know, being the only person in the room. That's just like, what, what the hell are we doing? (laughs) Like, this is, this is madness. Yeah. I mean, culturally we have so much work still to do. I mean, it, it, it feels like a more progressive world, it is a more progressive world than it was when I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s. But it, to say it's more progressive doesn't mean that it's as progressive as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to re- 
said some really, really valuable shit in that last sequence um, about, you know, sort of being thrust into trauma and not being given tools to understand that trauma and often having those tools like taken away from us as men. Um, and look, I'm black, so I can only speak from the perspective of a black man. My experience as a child was a lot of the stuff that, a lot of the stuff that softens us, a lot of the stuff that makes us sensitive was mm. in a lot of cases beaten out of us. It's certainly just, yeah. you know, so, you know, as we get older and, you know, A, it takes a lot of foresight to be able to even realize that this stuff was taken away from you and that you need it in order to thrive and survive. And then once you even realize that, it's like, what do you do with it? And then once you figure out what to do with it, it's like, okay, how do I then uh, model this behavior for others and bring other people with me on this journey? Um, so there's just so many steps in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, one, of the big, one of the big things we try to do what we've been trying to do with these discussions is always, especially since we're talking to people that are navigating the industry specifically, um, you know, trying to identify people who have stood out to us, who have given us some kind of hope or guidance, if any, if they're public figures or even people behind the scenes. And to have that struggle of, you know, that, that we all share of just kind of being thrown into this world with no tools and then being told you're not black enough, you're not gay enough, you're not this enough. Who or what stood out to you in those moments that helped you kind of move forward and keep keep going? Um. Speaking from like an, an artist sense, like somebody that I really think uh, has uh, um, like put forth a really good example of a journey through maturity and, and aging is Jay Z. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Jay came out and he was this sort of like alpha dude. Um, you know, was never really like super ignorant, but you know, certainly. Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt Jay-Z is much different from 2023 Jay-Z. You know, Jay talks about going to therapy. You know, Jay talks about, like, learning from your mistakes. He's, he does records with Frank Ocean. You know, he, he is modeling this behavior of not just, for, you know, not just being progressive, uh, but it's a personal growth narrative uh -huh. uh, that I think is very unusual. Um, very unusual for 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 hip hop and maybe unprecedented in hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's able to like it's not like he fell off and then he kind of came back and he's like, oh, I'm a different guy now. You actually see this growth in real time, and he's still like at the top of his game. So you know, I have a lot of respect for Jay Z. You know, when Frank Ocean wrote that letter and he posted it, like to me, you know. People growing up now, you have Frank and you have Lil Nas X and you have, you know, a lot of artists who are embracing, uh, you have Cuddy, you have uh, artists who are embracing a very non-traditional version of masculinity. Mm -hmm. There were no out black musicians when I was growing up. Even when I was a young adult, there were no out black male, I should say, there were some out black female musicians, but there were the only out black male musician was RuPaul. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I love RuPaul, but RuPaul and I don't really have a lot in common. There was nobody right. that I could relate to. So to have, you know, to have Frank and, you know, now to have like Tevin Campbell and Sean Patterson and, and, you know, all of these artists who are living in their truth. Um, 
and maybe doing so in a non-stereotypical sense, but also in a very like matter of fact sense. Like this is who I am. This is you know, and still getting their flowers. Like as that really means a lot to me, um, and, and it gives me hope. Uh, and in the fact that you know, rappers are cl- like hip hop in general is such like a, a masculine, like alpha male, homophobic, mm, very changing in my lifetime because. Mm-hmm. When I was born, hip hop wasn't even really a thing. Mm-hmm. So to see that like 180 switch in, in the course of my lifetime is really inspiring and really important to me. Um, and just, you know, again, like there's dudes, you know, not just Jay, but like Common, you know, there's a lot of dudes who are just kind of like growing up and, you know, turning into these like open minded, well rounded you know, people who are really trying to like take the lessons that they learned and, and pay them forward. So I, I have a lot of respect for, for people like that. I love that. That's dope. Do you see being behind the scenes, do you, do you see the impact of that behind the scenes? Are you seeing more executives or more uh, support for queer artists? Do you, have you seen that shift at all? I think there's definitely more support for queer artists. Um, I think there is more of in acceptance. I, I, I'm not sure if acceptance is totally the word that I want to use. Um, I, I, I think there's more, it's not as big a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just queerness specifically, or I should say it is queerness, but it's queerness more as an aesthetic than as a sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like if people dress different, if they're, uh, you know, if their personal aesthetic isn't the common man of color aesthetic, um, mm-hmm. if they talk about topics that you don't, you know, they, you know, there's so many people talking about mental mental health now. You know, and ten years ago, twelve years ago, fifteen years ago, particularly again, if you were an artist of color, that wasn't stuff you were talking about. Like people would talk about, you know, being addicted to substances or drinking. You know. You look at like Mary J's whole career art, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it is much more common now for people inside and outside of the industry, or I should say people on the front lines of the industry and people behind the scenes in the industry to have these open conversations. And it's not where it needs to be yet. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the conversations really are lip service and they're not digging deep, deeper into the meat of what the issues are, mm-hmm. but we're in a better place now than we were you know, before the pandemic or five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree that we are in a in a better space. I think for me, I, w- I would like to see even more diversity um, within, within, within the, the queer artists that are being pushed to the forefront. Mm-hmm. I would like to see even more diversity within that, you know? Um, because we have little Nas X, you know, we have Saucy Santana, we got Frank Ocean, you know, and it's like, okay, I want to see more, you know, like I want to see more and I want to see more of a range. I think that's going to just take time and more artists that more artists to really be brave enough to really just push against a lot of these, you know, really dated ideals and expectations and just really leaning in and embracing themselves, embracing their own artistry. And I know that's not as accessible for everybody but i think now at now at this time like if you want to stand out like 
really have to fully lean in and, and try your best to give something different and try to stand out as much as possible. Yeah, I, I, part of that is also just, you know, art is a microcosmic society. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my big things, and I, there are probably people out there who, who are sick of me saying this, sexuality is a spectrum. Absolutely. If you look at, at the ends mm-hmm. of the spectrum, like straight people are here, gay people are here, and everybody's like in here, mm-hmm. you know? reality of the situation is that, you know, it's a spectrum and it's also dynamic, like it can change over the course of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when someone, could, like, I'm always like, when somebody comes to me and is like, oh, I'm totally straight. I'm like, you are not. Like, stop lying. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think if there was more of an acceptance of the fact that, like, there's not a binary, really. Like, you know, sure, there are some people there are some gay people but most people sort of float on this spectrum of queerness i think if more people were allowed to have that discussion with them come to the conclusion within themselves and then have that discussion with other people i think that would then reflect in art um like i'm not sure if art comes before people doing that on like a personal level or if the personal part comes before the art but mm. i think that just needs to be an accepted discussion that you know it's not just necessarily one thing or the other thing. It can be one of these hundreds of thousands of shades in between. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Switching focus real quick. This is actually a question I want to present to both of you because you you both work in in the space of, you know, trying to step away from toxic masculinity and educating people on just different forms of what it means to be a man. I know Amir has gotten a lot of pushback in the past for, saying statements like men should be able to cry and like, you know, so I want to know, Mike, what has been some of your experience in this field? Do you get a lot of pushback and just how do you combat that? And, and Amir, how are you combating that these days as well? Mm-hmm. I'll let Amir go first. And I think I'm actually like misnamed you a little earlier. So my bad. You can call uh, me, you can call me Tariq as well. It's okay. Like, All right. But yeah. Man I'm gonna... Many names. Many names. Um, <laughs> so We've had our discussions about this, but um, share with the world, you know, um, I've been working on working on the Everyman Project for the past five years, which has been a, a body, started off as a body positivity initiative, a visual conversation about really showcasing a spectrum of different body types, really highlighting like men that we don't see highlighted in media, challenging those ideals, and then also talking about what does it mean to be a man and challenging those ideals as well. So I've had a lot of conversations, you know, about toxic masculinity to I've been blue in the face, you know, and um, I did one interview, um, which still circulates to this day, and I still get people in my inbox to this day, um, and some of them probably going to be what listen to this podcast, so, you know. They can DM um, me too. I got, I got do. something for them. Right? <laughs> um, and I said, it is okay for men to be weak. It is okay for men to cry. And I said that from a space of, I know what it's like to, to be taught that you can't, you know, and what it's like to hold that in and what it feels like to feel like your fucking mental health is in shreds, you know, because you've been, holding so much shit in for so long and like a lot of times as black men we've never been taught how to process our emotions in a healthy way because our fathers were either controversial opinion not present or they didn't have the tools themselves you know so 
I said that out of my experience. It is okay for men to be weak. It is okay for men to cry. You know what I mean? It's okay to have those moments of weakness because we are human. This is a part of the human experience. We're going to experience trauma a million times over in our lives, and we need to learn to have the tools to move through that shit and get to the other side. That was all I was trying to say. <laughs> and that thing went out into the world. That interview got about 500,000 views. And then the platform, they ended up getting a deal with Discovery Plus. So now it exists on Discovery Plus now. Go watch my whole episode. It's out in the world. I, to this day, get men DMing me. Need to go to the gym. Stop fucking telling men to be weak. What's wrong with you? So, like, I've been picked apart. Like, I've even had, like, people from countries, I can't even pronounce the name of the damn countries, just sending me voice notes, cussing me out. And in a language I can't even halfway understand, but all I can hear is, stop telling men to be weak. You know what I mean? And I really didn't know that I had a trigger point for a lot of people. And then my shit has circulated in conversations within the manosphere. So I get the Kevin Samuels girls, you know, they love to pull up. <laughs> and, and like, you know, I, I get a lot of consistent hate from an interview I did four years ago, which I stand ten toes in everything I fucking said. And I will say it again today. It's okay for me to be weak. It's okay to cry. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I've had a lot of pushback and... um. I think when when whenever you are challenging these very old old archaic ideals, like you're gonna get pushback. That's really a part of part of the job. But I wasn't aware how much pushback I was gonna get. <laughs> off of, it was one soundbite. I literally have hate videos on me. Like if you look me up on YouTube, dissertations, dissertations off of that one statement. Off of that one statement, I just said it's okay for men to be weak, and they ran with that. People are so ridiculous. Is <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't personally view crying as a weakness. It's not. Um, I think it's really important for men to realize that they can't. That it is to their benefit to be vulnerable sometimes. Yes. Um, I don't like that whole stone face. Like I can't let my lip quiver. I can't show any emotion stuff. Like that shit eats at you internally. That's why brothers die of, you know, strokes and heart. That's why we have an earlier death rate for like every conceivable illness there is because mm -hmm. we internalize that shit and that shit eats us up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you gotta like, Questlove has been talking about this a lot lately on his socials. It's like, you gotta let that. He actually, um, after uh, the dude from Migos passed away, he posted this really long essay on his Instagram talking about how like black people have been taught to be cool because showing in showing any kind of emotion immediately made you a target. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the slave days, and I didn't know this. He said this, he said this and uh, I was kind of blown away by it. You risk, if you showed any kind of emotion, if you screamed or you laughed or you cried, you ran the risk of getting whipped. So in order to suppress those emotions, you had to actually stick your head in a barrel to like to to mute these emotions that you have so black people have taught historically to not show emotions mm -hmm. but if you show if you don't let those emotions out 
like either they're going to come out in ways that are violent or, mm -hmm. or you know, harmful to others, or you're going to internalize them and they're going to come out in ways that are harmful to yourself. Like you are depriving yourself of the ability to live a full life Absolutely. if you put your emotions in, if you don't allow yourself to come to a place where you can recognize your emotions and deal with them in a healthy fashion. Yeah. And, and to add to that, we don't realize how, like literally what you just said, we don't realize how much of this shit is generational mm -hmm. and how it gets passed down. You know what I mean? Like this shit is very generational. And I know for me, um, you know, I have been diagnosed with anxiety since I was like, you know, in my early twenties, I made the conscious choice to go to therapy because my parents refused to. And, um, I saw how my own dad's mental health played out over my lifetime. And I knew that was why I didn't want that to be me. So it's like, I took accountability for my own shit, you know, went to therapy and to get the tools. And it's like, we need to encourage that as much as possible. Cause it's yeah. okay to go to therapy. It's okay to get help. It's okay to get those tools because like that shit will eat you up inside. And for me, a lot of my anxiety would, manifest as physical symptoms so when people say stress and anxiety will kill you it will eat you alive but it's getting to the root of where it, it comes from and realizing especially for a lot of us as black men we have never been given the tools to process this shit in a healthy way you see white kids they always had the access for like art therapists the whole nine you know what i mean right the whole nother discussion but um we never had those tools, and it's 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 our responsibility responsibility to to get those tools. And yeah. it, the fuck the part about it is not everyone has access, right? And that is a big issue. Um, one other that I think is related to that is that you know I think therapy is super important. I, I started going to therapy when I was thirty one, um, and that was way later than I, I should have done it. But there was this cultural stigma. Um, that was attached to it, in addition to me not being able to afford it. Um, yeah. thing that I have noticed over the past couple of years that's really kind of become prominent to me is that we need more Black therapists. We need more therapists. Yes. We need people going to medical school. We need people going to, you know, going into social work programs because, like, I live in New York. I mean, we all live in New York. Biggest city in the world, most diverse city in the world. And finding a therapist of color here is difficult. Now, imagine what that's like for a black person that lives in a, you know, in an area where there are not as many people, where therapy is uh, much more stigmatized. Like, how are you going to find a therapist that has a cultural, uh, that has a cultural knowledge to deal with you? That's so important. And, and to add another layer on top of that, trying to find a black queer therapist of color. Right. Because that yeah. was something I personally went through. Um, back in 2019, because I had my own crisis going on, I was trying to find, you know, a therapist, a black queer therapist of color, because I had already done therapy for six years with a different therapist, which she was great for helping me deal with my general anxiety. But then with my other traumas that I've developed from dating in the queer in the queer world, you know what I mean? She, as a middle aged black woman, a straight cisgender black woman could not fully understand my experience. Right. So it was important for me to find a queer therapist of color. And even in a crisis, I was like, I don't, I don't want to just get anybody. 
So it took me a while to actually find somebody. And it's like, it, it shouldn't be that hard. You know what I mean? I had to find somebody. I didn't have to pay out of pocket for it because most of the really good ones don't take insurance. And you know what I mean? It, it, therapy is important, but having a therapist that you actually can connect with yeah. that actually gets you, that can actually see you, you know what I mean? And that that's that's more important than just you Google the therapy and just sit there and fucking lie to your therapist. Is that yeah. helping you? No, it's not helping you. So it's like it's it's really hard to find a good match just to just to add to what you were saying. Yeah, it really is. It's tough. It's tough. And I think also this is why I like what we're doing and having discussions like this as well, because I think it is stigmatized within just our communities to not have these type of discussions. You know, and that's something I struggled with just even navigating my career. My job is to be transparent, is to write down my feelings. And when I'm in rooms with other men of color who are just kind of like, yeah, we ain't talking about that. And you're just like, wait, who, where do we go? So it's important for us to create these spaces. And Mike, like creating your podcast is huge. And like creating these, these, these things that people can look to and see like, oh, this is healthy. This is normal. I need to unpack this shit. I need to go to therapy. I need to talk to people. I need to heal we don't have a lot of those examples. Like I don't remember any examples of that, you know, and, and that's why I think it's crucial to, to be the example. Like that, that's really the takeaway for me is like, all right, if I I'm benefiting from this, you know, when I had my first drink, I was everybody, why is everybody not drinking? This is great. Why is it not the same with therapy? Like <laughs> I had my first session was like, what, y'all don't want to go to a, see a therapist. This is, so I think it, it's really yeah. crucial to see three men of color having this kind of conversation because, like, I wasn't seeing this shit nowhere. Every pod I see, they getting drunk. They sat there. The men sat there and let Kanye West have a full mental breakdown and wouldn't say shit to him. In real, cool. in real, in real time, in and real just time. let it happen in real yeah. time, in real yeah. time. And that's 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 another thing is a lot of times we don't hold each other accountable. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we need to, like, as humans, we should all be looking out for each other, right? Mm-hmm. And oppressed people, we should all be looking out for each other with a little bit of extra care. Absolutely. But I feel like when there's money and status and all these things around, like, people, I, there's I, one thing that I'll never be able to understand is why people get a kick out of watching other people implode. Mm. Um, and on it. And, and, you know, the whole Kanye thing is, is disturbing to me because here's a dude who, like, you can't tell me shit about Kanye's first three or four records. Like, Kanye was, I like, I loved Kanye once. And it's so obvious that he is suffering in so many different ways. And, you know, I think maybe part of it is him being stubborn and not wanting help. But I don't necessarily know that the people around him are would be supportive of him getting help. Like they want to see him fuck up even more. Right. You know, yeah. and more controversial. They're not, they're not like, bro, like you need to pull it back and like take a year off, go, you know, do what Will Smith did and go hike in the mountains and shit like that. You know, yeah. like take care of your mental. Um, and it's, it's so important that people have other people in their corner who will make, you know, who will help them, who are, there legitimately for the for the betterment of you know of the people around them that will like lead you in the right direction or help you in the right direction. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're seeing we're seeing that these uh, celebrities are worth more to us dead or in conservatorships than yeah. alive. So a lot of their a lot of their handlers are going to let them go off the rails. But I think it really is important to create safe spaces where people can you can tell somebody like, hey, you need help and, and just make it make it commonplace. I think that's really the biggest thing, because money or no money, I think it just is commonplace especially in our communities to not tell. I've, I've watched people come in and be erratic and leave and everybody's like, we can't tell them nothing. In just regular settings, you know, cause it's, it's not cool. I can't tell that man about his life. And like, um, no, no, no. We can't. I've been in we those spaces to. too. Yeah. And it's, it's not cool. And I think it, it really is important to just create a, uh, a, a, make it normal. Just make it normal for us to talk. Yeah. Just talk, just talk. You, you feel so much better after you, it might not even be that serious, but I mean, just something as simple as you had a bad ride to work. And as a man, you got to keep that in. And the rest of the day, you just spaz on everybody. Talk to somebody. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. If you don't let it out, that shit will eat you up. Yeah. Every time. Every time. Every time. And that shit will manifest in in ways that you wouldn't even think. You know what I mean? Especially when you're holding that level of of pain and trauma, it will eat you alive entirely. You know? Yep. It will either do that or when it eventually comes out of you, it's going to come out some like twisted, fucked up way. Yeah. yeah. Man, Mike, we, we appreciate you so much, man. I know we're nearing the end and we bounced all over, which I love. I love, yes. love, love this conversation. Usually we end our, our, our discussions asking people about how they dream big these days. But I want to I want to I just want you to give whoever's listening. What does what the takeaway you want them to, to have from this discussion today? Oh man, that's a that's a high level question. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we hit so many things. It's just like I, you got so many gems. Like, what's the gem you want people to part with? Um, I think the, the ultimately what I want most is for people to realize the value that they have to one another. Like, I think really the most important thing that we have as humans is us, other humans. Um, community is something that's real, real important to me. And um, I think that American society in particular is so directed towards the individual. Um, And like, we don't get anywhere just by ourselves. Like we always gotta have, you know, we gotta have people to lift us up and that we can lift up. And I think that that is super important. Um, You know, and I think the other thing is just to like, you know, understand what it's, what it, is to understand what it's like to be in other people's shoes. Like, we've had so many different instances lately of things happening within the Black community, within the uh, LGBTQ community, within the Asian community, within the Jewish community, you know, all these instances of hate. And I think a lot of people don't understand empathy on, you know, like, it it really is important. And I think, I think we kind of have a superpower because we're multiple minorities. Mm-hmm. So understand life from a whole bunch of different perspectives. And that's a way of thinking that I don't think a lot of people are able to access. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think like if I, if I could give anybody anything, it would be empathy. Just the ability to be like, okay, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like if you would ask me about trans people 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I probably would have said some fucked up shit because I didn't know any trans people. I didn't know what it was like to be trans. The idea of someone being uh, like born as a gender that they didn't feel internally didn't make any sense to me. But 
you know, ultimately I read some books. I went to therapy. I met some trans people who were mad cool. Uh, and I, I kind of internalized that. And I was like, look, you know, there's plenty of people out there who don't know what it's like to be queer, who don't know what it's like to be, you know, mentally ill, who don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to be even for me, like I'm the first American born member of my entire family. Like, there are people that don't know what it's like to feel like that. Yeah. Our life experiences are all very different. Um, so who am I to say that somebody, that it's impossible for somebody to be born a gender that they don't feel internally. Like right. once you realize that everybody's, you know, the way that everybody feels is valid. Um, and people just want to be them. Like they just want to, like people just want to live. Yeah. Like, you know, once you understand that, I think your entire, like, world changes. Um, and what we, again, what we need more than anything right now is we need empathy because I think if we don't collectively as a society develop that empathy, like, you know, society at some point is just going to be, like, done. Yeah. Yeah. It, so- it sounds like it sounds like society needs a Michael Jackson day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. You know, heal the world, make it a better place. You know Man. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, Michael's dropping some gems too. I mean, I feel bad that he couldn't do that for himself, what he wanted mm. to do for. Him. Um, but I do think that, you know, a part of what art is, is you're almost like, you. it's like service. You're giving yourself in service. Like, yeah. Mike died in service, Prince died in service. George Michael died in service. Like these people gave so much of themselves that it like ate them up. Um, um, and I think, you know, you know, it's unfortunate that all of these iconic uh, uh, artists, you know, Dr. King gave him in service. Malcolm X gave in service. Like all of these people who were trying to do good for the world, like can't really conquer their own demons. And maybe, you know, there's a lesson to be learned from all of that. Mm. Wow. wow. On that note, Mike Joseph, everybody, we want to thank you for this being on powerful. the show today. Um, you can find him. He, he's Detox Pod Guy on Instagram. He hosts the Detoxicity Podcast. There'll be links and everything. Um, thank yeah. you so much, man. We really, really thank appreciate you. you. Yes. Hey, you, are, you're in Brooklyn, so we definitely need to hang out. Yeah, let's link up. Let's for do sure. it. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll be back out there in the spring. All right. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll be waiting for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, know, you already know I'm going to hold you to it. So. <laughs> and I would love to have you all on the podcast collectively or individually. Like whenever you all want to do yes. this, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm let's so do down. It. I'm ready. Let's do it. We're ready. ready. All right, y'all. Thank you, Mike, so much. Thank we appreciate so much. you. I'll, I'll email you and let you know when we're going to post and do everything. Cool. All right. I'm going to right, stop the recording. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You, you too. too, man. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks again for joining us today. As always, you can head over to our site to show support, shoot us an email, and learn more about our guest. Liking and rating this episode is also really beneficial for us. New episodes every Friday. Y'all continue to dream big, and we'll catch you on the next one.